Welcome to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast that takes you freewheeling down the great internet rabbit hole of trivia. Each week, we pick a starting point, and then who knows where all the twists, turns and tangents will take us. But we'll be sure to discover a treasure trove of frivolous facts that will be as fascinating as they are useless. When One Thing Leads to Another is produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. Our theme music is by Justin Mitchell. This is episode three, Vincent. Now, we went for a nice walk around Hearn Bay, didn't we, last week? We did. And we popped into a charity shop, did we not? We did. I was lured in there because in the window there was a coffee table book called The Complete Paintings of Van Gogh. It's huge. It's huge, it's heavy, and I got it for a fiver. I know, that was amazing. Really good find. A really good find. Anyway, I've, I've been thumbing through it, and I found out something that I don't think I previously knew about dear old Vincent. Well, you do surprise me. And that is that he once lived in Brixton, South yeah. London, of all places. Yeah. Did, you sound like you knew that. Um, did I know that? It feels, feels familiar to me, but I don't know. Anyway, he lived in Brixton, and he lodged at number 87 Hackford Road right? for a year between 1873 and 1874 while he worked at an art gallery in Covent Garden. Now, the three-storey terraced house still exists to this day and was actually bought in 2012 by someone called Jeanne Wang and Amy Childs. Amy Childs? Not the Amy, a- not that's the, a- isn't there an Amy Childs from The Only Way is Essex? Yeah, that name does ring some sort of bell. I surely it's not her. I'm going to say that it's not. This was they anyway. They bought the house in 2012 for 565 thousand pounds, and uh, that's not bad actually, is it? Three story house. Yeah, this was in 2012. I bet it's worth a damn oh, sight more than yes. that now. But um, Jean Wang quipped at the time that uh, he couldn't afford a Van Gogh painting, so he bought his house instead. Oh, very good, Jean. Yeah. Do you know what my favourite? Van Gogh painting is? Uh, is it Starry Starry Night? But I don't think it's called. St- is it called Starry Starry? Oh, the Night? Starry Night. I think it's just Starry Night. Starry isn't it? Night. I'll keep that in because that makes you look stupid. <laughs> anyway, yes, it is Starry is it? Night. Bit, a little bit, may I say, a little bit predictable. I know, I know, but I like it. Um, but anyway, so I was just googling that, and I've got two things to tell you that I thought was interesting. Well, far away. Then. So obviously, you know the Don McLean song. Uh, of course. Vincent. Yes. He was working in a school, playing his guitar in classrooms, and he was sitting on the veranda one morning reading a biography of Van Gogh, much like you. Yeah. And suddenly he knew he had to write a song, arguing that he wasn't crazy. He he actually had an illness, and to Don McLean that made it different in his mind to the garden variety of crazy because he was rejected by a woman, as was commonly thought. So he sat down with a print of Starry Night and he wrote the lyrics out on a paper bag. On a paper bag? On a paper bag. And in July 2020, the original handwritten lyrics went up for sale for 1.5 million. Wow. That's pretty pretty interesting. The other interesting thing for me is that that song, Vincent, was a particular favourite of the rapper and actor Tupac Shakur. Go on. And was played to him in the University Medical Centre of Southern Nevada, the hospital where he was admitted just before he died of gunshot wounds from a drive-by shooting. That's that's interesting, isn't that it? That is very interesting. So Tupac had Vincent played to him just before he died. Just as he was just slipping off yeah. the mortal coil. Yeah. 
Oh, well, there you go. Well, I certainly anyway. didn't know that about our Vincenzo. Yeah, so I've slightly digressed there, but you carry on. Well, thank you very much. Do you know that Vincent painted almost 900 paintings? Wow. Yeah, wow. But how about in 10 years? Which, according to my quick maths, is just shy of two paintings per week. Okay. But that doesn't include his works on paper. So if you include those, then that means that he made a piece of art every 36 hours. Yeah, well, I can believe it. He was, um, he was quite prolific, wasn't he? So prolific is what he was. And... In, he only sold one painting while he was alive. Yeah, that's very sad that he never got to see his success. Yes. Well, it's that, often the way, isn't it? It's, it is often the way. Anyway, that painting that was sold while he was alive was called The Red Vineyard, and it sold for 400 francs mm. seven months before he died. Okay. Now, I was trying to work out, uh, and you know I'm not the gr world's greatest mathematician. That's what, an understatement. What 400 francs uh, then would be equivalent to now? So I've did some workings out, and in 1890, which is when he when the painting was sold, yeah. one franc would have bought you apparently 0 0.29 grams of gold, which is the equivalent of 9.7 grams of gold in 2015. That's as close as okay. I could get, yeah, right? Okay. Now that comes to about 13 and a half thousand euros, which actually seems like a pretty nice little earner, right? 13 and a half grand because, you know, Vincent is famous for yeah. being the poor, destitute yeah. uh, artist, you know, died in uh, poverty. poverty. But I thought, you know, I, I thought 13 and a half thousand euros, that's not too bad. However, as impressive as that sounds, uh, that is insignificant compared to his most expensive work that was sold. And do you know what that was? Well, I remember Sunflowers was sold for millions, wasn't it? And that was, but that that's probably been surpassed hasn't it? I think so. Well in 1990 the portrait of Dr Gachet, right. uh, apologies if I've got the pronunciation wrong there, sold for 82.5 million US dollars and that is equivalent to 163.4 million US dollars today. Oh okay. And at the time it was the most expensive painting ever sold. That was bought by a bloke called Rio Sato who was a wealthy Japanese businessman. And he died just six years after buying the painting. Right. Which alarmed the art world because he had previously threatened to be cremated with the painting oh. in order to avoid death duties oh, yes. for his kids. Yeah. Um, however, fortunately, the painting didn't get torched and was sold to an Austrian-born investment fund manager called Wolfgang Flottel. And again... <laughs> Uh, again, I imagine my pronunciation is all over the place there. However, Flottel, <laughs> he hit the skids financially, and so he sold the painting to someone who remains to this day a mystery. Right. Um, and other than the mystery owner, no one knows where the painting is. Oh, wow. Which is a real blinking shame, isn't it, when these paintings get snapped up yeah. and then no one sees yeah. them ever again sort of thing. Aha, this is interesting. Do you know what the most expensive painting ever sold is? Uh, that is a good questione. No, I don't. It is Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi. 
Beautiful pronunciation Thank there, you. And that was sold for over 450 million US dollars in 2017. Flipping it. Yep, and it was sold by a Russian oligarch to the Minister of Culture in Saudi Arabia. And it adorns the walls of the Louvre, but not in Paris, the one in Abu Dhabi. Oh, OK. Well, at least people can go and see it rather than it being hidden away in someone's private residence. Absolutely. But 450 million US dollars, that's a lot of money. Now, rewinding a little bit, we were talking about how old Vincent there lived in Brixton. Yes. And so I thought I'd have a little explore as to other people who have lived and been born in, in, uh, oh, yeah. in Brixton. David Bowie was born there. Well, of course. I think we, we sort of knew I that. I think, isn't Sharon Osbourne from Brixton? Um, I think she is. Might well be the yeah. case. Uh, but I also found out that Mick Jones and Paul Simonon from oh, The yeah. Clash. Yeah. Um, another surprising resident of Brixton was the former British Prime Minister, John Major. Oh. And another resident of Brixton, Clive Dunn. Don't panic! Don't panic! Who most famously played Corporal Jones in Dad's Army. He was born in Brixton. Dad's Army. Oh yeah, Dad's Army. I've got an interesting fact about Dad's Army. So have I. You go first. <laughs> Arthur Lowe, who was cast as Captain Mannering, yeah. was concerned that the show might be a bit too lowbrow. Lowbrow? Yeah, and include cheap jokes. And so he insisted, apparently, on having a clause written into his contract that stated he would never appear on screen without his trousers. <laughs> now, the, uh, the Dad's Army writers, Jimmy Perry and David Croft, wrote a scene in the opening episode of the sixth series, where a hand grenade ends up down Captain Mannering's trousers. Do you think they did that on purpose because of the clause, <laughs> just well, it, to wind him up? Well, it does seem yeah. like an incredible coincidence, yeah. doesn't it? Um, so I'd like to think that maybe they did do that. So there's old Arthur Lowe. He obviously read that in the script. He refused to take part in the scene. And so what happened was the character was changed from Captain Mannering to Lance Corporal Jones. Why isn't Corporal Jones wearing his equipment? And what's this great lump of string hanging down his back? I've got a fact about Dad's army. Go on then. Pike. You stupid bum. Ian Lavender. That's him. The guy that played... He's the only surviving member, isn't he, or something? Oh, pr well, probably, yeah. He has a famous, cousin. a famous cousin. I think it's just by marriage. Right, okay, well. And you would never, in all your days, guess who his cousin by marriage is. Therefore, I won't start guessing. Christina Aguilera. Christina Aguilera <laughs> yeah, is Ian Lavender's, what, cousin? Cousin by marriage, I think it is, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, that is absolute gold. That's good, isn't it? Clive Dunn, famous... Yeah. Uh, born and bred Brixton, who played the part of Corporal Jones, Jones was a staunch socialist, apparently, yeah, yeah. and didn't get on particularly well with equally staunch conservative Arthur Lowe. Oh. And um, Clive Dunn was the cousin of Gretchen Franklin. Do you know who Gretchen Franklin is? The name's is? familiar. The name is familiar. Yeah, OK. If I was to say Ethel oh. Skinner... Of course, of course, Ethel. Yeah, yeah. He was cousins with Ethel. He was a cousin of Ethel Skinner in EastEnders. And so I started to go down a rabbit hole of EastEnder-based facts. Yes. And I have discovered that Ethel's dog, Willie... Little Willie, yes. Little Willie, 
previously starred in Swallows and Amazons, Aww. apparently. And poor old Willie was actually written out of EastEnders by being put down in 1992. And amazingly, poor old Willie died for real just two weeks and two days after he was written out. Well, they must have known he was on his way out. So rest in peace, dear old Willie there. Willie, little Willie. Okay, so I was Googling Clive Dunn, who, of course, had a hit song called Grandad in 1971. That's the year of my birth. It reached number one, of course. I remember it it well. Did you know that um, Rick Wakeman played the keyboard? (laughs) Uh, on that and the song was co-written go on and this is a link back to a previous episode of when one thing leads to another go on the song was co-written by herbie flowers herbie flowers the bass player behind lou reed's walk on the wild side you're kidding and um i also so then that took me to herbie's website where he says he received a lot of stick for writing granddad (laughs) but he received an ivan novello award for it and apparently he played bass on ABBA's live performance of Waterloo at the Eurovision Song Contest in 1974. Blimey. Yeah. Herbie Flowers is turning out to be one of the most interesting dudes that we've ever come across. Yeah. Oh, rewinding actually back to um, Dad's Army again, if you, yeah. d- if you, if you don't mind. Yeah. John Le Mesure. Yeah. No, that's, I've said that wrong, haven't I? I never know how to say it. John... Le Mesure. Oh, that's good. That sounds good. Uh, John sound... Le Mesure who played the role of Sergeant Wilson in Dad's Army, now this surprised me, used to smoke marijuana. Awfully nice. But claimed he didn't much care for it and only used it when he was abstaining from alcohol. Yes, because he was quite a big drinker, wasn't he? he? Well, he was more than a big drinker. Apparently he became an alcoholic. So he would, uh, he'd have a little puff, old uh, Wilson there. And he died in November 1983 after suffering a hemorrhage. And his final words purportedly were in classic Wilson from Dad's Army, mm. styly. it's all been rather lovely. Which, if true, is rather nice. That is, that is rather lovely. Did you know that Dad's Army was the inspiration behind Ben Elton's The Thin Blue Line? No, I didn't realise that was actually... Did you ever inspiration. watch The Thin Blue Line? I think I might have watched a tiny little bit of him, didn't much care for it, and I don't think it was terribly popular, was it? No, it wasn't. I, I quite liked it. But another another family interesting fact, Ben Elton yeah. is third cousins with somebody famous. <laughs> oh, flipping out here. Are we stretching this a bit? Third cousins. I'm probably third cousins with Ben Elton. Go on, who's he third cousins with? Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, nice. That's, that's pretty good. That is um, pretty good. Anyway, so there wasn't a huge amount to say about the Thin Blue Line, so um, I went off on a slight ta- tangent, but I did discover... That's what this show is all about. Yes. Um, in one of the episodes of the Thin Blue Line, mm-hmm. um, there was a little-known Alexander Armstrong played an arrested man. Oh. And that was one of his first TV roles. Oh, yeah. Him off of Pointless. Him off of Pointless. And I then went off on a little tangent of Alexander Armstrong, which took me oh. um, to Danger Mouse. Ah. Because, of course, he voiced Danger Mouse in the reboot I was going in to say. 2015. Yeah, because who did the... Re- it was David Jason in the David original. David Jason. Yeah. That was brilliant. That was one of my favourite shows. Um, right, I've got a question for you. Go on. 
Um, so you, obviously, well, if it was one of your favourite shows, you'll remember it really well. So mm. Danger Mouse and Penfold. Yeah, of course. What kind of animal ah. was Penfold? Okay, well, uh, Penfold was played by Terry Scott. Well, of course. That wasn't uh, the question, though. I think he was a mole. Yeah, lots of people think he was a mole. <laughs> was he not he a mole? He wasn't a mole, he was a hamster. <laughs> <laughs> he was a hamster? Yes. Yeah. Penfold was a hamster? He was a hamster, yes. Well, I'll exactly. tell you what, he yeah. fooled I me. I know, I think it's because of the glasses. Yeah, and made it look made him look like he had little eyes when he took his glasses off, perhaps, and that's uh, why people thought he was a mole. But he was a hamster. I'm going to have to have a little Google image search for Penfold to because yeah. Oh well, I did. I had oh, to have a did. look because yeah. I thought hamster. Hamster, come but, on. Yeah. But would you agree he does look quite hamster-esque, or do you think he looks more like a mole? Um. Oh, you're, you're not sure. Well, he, he looked. To, to be honest, he looks like neither really. <laughs> um. Anyway, Danger Mouse in Sweden is called Dunder Mouse. Nice. Which means thunder mouse. <laughs> thought that was interesting. It very almost is. I thought this was. I thought this was quite funny. Um, the show was quite expensive to make, sometimes needing two thousand drawings. Right. So certain scenes were set in the North Pole or in the dark, <laughs> i.e., totally black with only eyeballs oh, visited, yeah. visible. Yeah. Or in Danger Mouse's case. Simply oh, one yes. eyeball. Yes, of course. As, and that was as, as a cost-cutting measure. Oh, and, that's good. And. Danger Mouse was nominated for 11 BAFTAs during its run, but it didn't win any. Oh, it was blooming robbed then. Do you know who did the theme music Ooh. for Danger Mouse? Can I? He's the greatest. He's fantastic. Wherever there's been danger, he'll be there. Who did it? Um, Mike Harding. Oh, Mike Harding, the folk singer slash comedian Mike Harding. And many people believe that Mafanwi Talog who is David Jason's long-term partner, yeah. sang the theme tune. It's what many people believe. And actually, if oh. you have a cursory search on Google, yeah. you'll get that answer. But if you dig a little deeper, it wasn't actually her at all. It was somebody oh. called Sheila Gott, okay. who is now a vocal coach in Stockport. And she's coached, amongst others, Robbie Williams and Danny Jones of McFly. And she was also a contestant on The X Factor in 2010. Now, of all of that magnificent career that she's had, I wonder which is the story she likes to drop the most, whether it's she's coached Robbie Williams or whether she was the singer of the Danger Mouse theme. Well, all I will say is that on her website, she doesn't mention Danger Mouse. Oh. I, I would. I blooming would. Danger Mouse. Thank you for listening to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. If we have floated your boat or pushed your button, then subscribe by visiting our website, whenonethingleadstoanother.com. We've also added some links to things that we have discovered on this episode, so you too can lose yourself down the great internet rabbit hole of discovery. A massive thanks to Justin Mitchell for letting us use his music as our theme song. It's a track called Homo Erectus, taken from his brilliant album called The Garden of Earthly Delights, which is available to buy from bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Acast for hosting our podcast. Remember to join us next week for another episode of When One Thing Leads to Another. Please note, all facts have been found on the internet and therefore we cannot vouch for their veracity.